We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time, it's time for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. And I'm joined today by Angelica Ong. Hello, hello, everybody. And by Sean Su. It's great to be back. Tonight, we'll be discussing the World Health Assembly rejecting a proposal to put Taiwan's observer status on the agenda of this week's meeting of the global health body in Geneva. A lot of Taiwan chatter in the United States by Biden administration officials. The latest coronavirus news from here in Taiwan this week with a warning about the rising death toll rate and the planned introduction by Thai Power of new rates for electric car owners. But questions remaining about how Taiwan can increase its electric vehicle usage. But we'll begin with a proposal to invite Taiwan to participate in this week's World Health Assembly, failing to be added to the agenda of the global health body on Monday. The proposal had been initiated by 13 of Taiwan's diplomatic allies, and the decision came after the WHA's executive board advised member states to keep the issue off the agenda. Now, two countries representing each side of the issue spoke briefly on the matter, with China and Pakistan backing Beijing's opposition, and Isawanti and Tuvalu speaking out in support for Taiwan. China claimed the proposal was political manipulation and went on to make the even loftier claim that the true aim of the proposal was to seek independence of the coronavirus pandemic. The Chinese official at the event cited the United Nations General Assembly Resolution 2758 and the WHA Resolution 25.1 as signifying that there is no legal basis for Taiwan to participate in the World Health Assembly. And he went on and predictably enough cited the One China Principle which recognizes Taiwan as part of China for that reason. Now, the representative from Isawanti, meanwhile, argued that the resolution only addresses the right of China to be represented in the United Nations and the World Health Organization and does not refer to Taiwan as part of China and also does not authorize Beijing to represent Taiwan in the United Nations system. The rejection excluded Taiwan from the conference, though, for the sixth consecutive year. And here in Taiwan, the foreign ministry expressed its deep regret and dissatisfaction at the decision, saying that China re- China's repeated use of politics to override the public interest of global health security and harm the health and human rights of the Taiwanese people is unacceptable. Now, the rejection, of course, came after the U.S. Department of State spokesperson, Ned Price, stressed a week prior to the rejection that Washington will strongly advocate for the WHO to invite Taiwan to participate as an observer and lend its expertise to the solution-seeking decisions at the 75th World Health Assembly. Other countries that don't have formal ties with Taiwan that also voiced their support for the Ireland's inclusion in the WHA this year during the annual meeting in Geneva included Japan, the United Kingdom, France, Germany, Australia, Canada, the Czech Republic and Lithuania. But needless to say, it was all in vain as Beijing won the day. Now, Taiwan's Deputy Health Minister Li Li Feng was in Geneva this week, meeting with officials from member states on the sidelines of the World Health Assembly. So, Sean, obviously, I don't think I think the foreign ministry here wasn't expecting to get an invite anyway, really. Well, no, I mean, obviously, uh, for the WHA, uh, Taiwan has already prepared and announced that it would prepare holding its own sort of thing right outside um, um, where the WHA will meet. And, you know, it's no surprise that China was going to block this. And uh, But I think it's very demonstrative. I mean, we're talking about a global plan- pandemic where millions have died, and that's not enough for China, you know, 
to not come up with reasons, you know, to try to exclude Taiwan. And the thing is, you know, Taiwan being in the WHA does not mean Taiwan will get like W A, uh, uh, you know, United Nations membership or anything like that. So China, ironically, is saying that this is like Taiwan trying to salami slice its international recognition. But the reality is, the people meeting here in generally are, you know, uh, you know. People from their equivalent of health and human services, uh, you know, for instance, the United States, um, or you know, as, as opposed to like, uh, uh, you know, um, prim primarily diplomatic. So it's I, I think it, I'm not surprised at this. Nobody is, uh, and also I think China is trying to emphasize um, the fact that. Uh, you know, Taiwan was uh, represented in the WHA some years prior during warmer relations, but that was under China's supervision. So this is China also trying to say that, okay, uh, if you want to get into the WHA, you want to participate, Taiwan must do it under us and nobody else. It's a power play. It's, it's at the expense of lives, potentially. We all remembered what happened during SARS. Many years ago, where you know China played politics back then, and you know it will do so at the expense of lives. This is not a regime that cares about human lives at all; it just cares about power. Sean is absolutely right. It is very well said that the WHA is an international health body, and it's just unfortunate that uh, this issue has become so politicized. But having said that, it's been made political a long time ago, and uh, Taiwan has. Um, for many, many years, sent reporters and to try and uh, get some foothold on there, set, get some um, visibility. And generally, we've just been um, ignored completely. I know a reporter who would go to report on this event, and she wasn't even allowed in the overflow room to uh, you know, observe the, you know, just completely shut out. Um, so I, I feel like uh, the fact that this year, we do have the backing of of, of the U.S. and uh, um, all these nations uh, who are speaking up for our inclusion. I think we can take that as definite progress and a shift in international sentiments. Yes, we are still shut out, but we're no longer ignored by all the world. But I mean, Sean, obviously, before a week before this the WHA this week, the US Department of State came out and strongly said, we're going to try to get Taiwan invited. Obviously, they do this every year, but nothing ever comes of it. Uh, okay, so it really depends on how we, we define that term, right? Like in the sense that, um, you know, nothing comes out of it in, in the sense that Taiwan gets into the WHA uh, or has some sort of observer status. Yeah, that's not going to shift anytime soon. What will shift is that more and more countries are coming out speaking for Taiwan, even those that don't have uh, official diplomatic relations and those that have close ties. Uh, for instance, Germany came out to speak this time, which is fantastic. Uh, there's long been concerns that Merkelites who, uh, you know, uh, people who are in this vicinity or sphere of uh, uh, Angela, Angela Merkel, uh, who, by the way, had very close ties or relatively close ties to China in the EU sphere, um, you know, generally did not really lend their support to Taiwan. 
And here you have Germany actually, you know, sort of changing its tune a bit. Um, so it's actually, and, and you, you know, there's Lithuania, of course, that did come out. And, you know, these ties have been warming. So slowly but surely, it's going to take time. It's not going to be tomorrow, but it will take some time. Eventually, at this rate, Taiwan, I believe, will get into the WHA. Uh, let's look at it a flipped, a flipped, flipped around example. Back when Taiwan was a totalitarian regime, um, and its relations with other countries was poor, and I, in my opinion, its diplomacy was not exactly sharp. They were very standoffish. Quite often, they made other countries mad. Uh, while Taiwan was still in the United Nations, eventually, the Republic of China was. Booted, you know, they were going to do a vote, and that that wasn't an overnight thing. That took a long time, well over a decade of developments. So I do understand why China's reacting, but it's reacting in a way that isn't winning it any real favors, right? Most countries that are backing China right now are doing it out of their own self-interest, other geopolitical reasons, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But it's just making China look bad down the line, and eventually, push comes to shove. Um, something's going to happen where eventually China will be overruled, despite the rules and everything else. I mean, Jenica, do you see Beijing being overruled at the WHA, or do you think it has enough clout to ensure that certain countries will continue to back it, whatever happens? <laughs> uh, yeah, I quite honestly, I think we really need to take this one step at a time. I don't think Taiwan is going to join the WHA anytime soon. Um, but just because we are so diplomatically constrained by China that I believe it's really helpful to uh, cheer the baby steps and the baby wins. And uh, like Sean said, we have seen, you know, a substantial shift on the part of uh, Europe. Uh, I hope to be pleasantly surprised, but I don't think that is on the cards at all. And what about the Deputy Health Minister, Angelica? Of course, he was in Geneva this week having what one of our regular guests described as the annual pity party on the side of the World Health Assembly. <laughs> um, well, that's that's what we do. And uh, I think it's important that we keep doing it, keep showing up. Keep. I, I think one of the most valuable things that Taiwan can do to strengthen our hand diplomatically is keep pushing that contrast to China. China is intransigent. We are open and uh, uh, communicative. Uh, China's shutting us out. We are there being very present and being very open and being very friendly. I think the more we can push that contrast at every turn, the better uh, our position will be eventually. But it'll take patience. And uh, it's not the sort of thing where I <laughs> expect that there'll be any concrete outcomes from doing that. Ah, like I said earlier, uh, using the example about how the ROC eventually got ousted from the United Nations, that's a process that took 20, 25 years of bad moves by the ROC diplomatically. So I think that if China continues on this course, I, I'm not saying the next 10 years, but I'm saying anything's possible 20 years from now. You know, <laughs> So uh, these little steps, you know, they chip away at it. Um, these are little things that, you know, everyday people may not remember. But, uh, you know, officials and so forth, they may they may remember and they will have records that, you know, when it when it came to a situation where we needed global unity to fight against the pandemic, China tried its best to be very untransparent. It was not a team player. It allowed this to become a global pandemic. It, you know, spread lots of misinformation. It politicized the entire thing at the cost of lots of deaths. And at the end of the day the day, again, as usual, tried its best to 
you know, make sure that the Taiwanese people were not uh, 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 were either harmed or you know didn't get the cooperation or help it needed. And you know, at the minimum, within Taiwan, among the people, I think uh, they will also remember this. So either way, as Angelica says, this helps Taiwan and it also boosts Taiwan's image. Moving on now, and there was a bevy of Taiwan talk from Americans this week. U.S. President Joe Biden on Monday stressed that Washington would defend Taiwan if it was attacked by China. That comment came as Biden was visiting Japan, and the remark was interpreted by some as signaling a more open commitment of U.S. intervention or strategic clarity and a deviation from the U.S. policy of strategic ambiguity in regards to Taiwan. But on Tuesday, Biden stressed that the U.S. policy of strategic ambiguity on Taiwan has not changed after he met with the leaders at the summit of the Quad Nations. Now, on Thursday, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs here in Taiwan announced that the United States and Taiwan have been in talks in recent weeks as Washington was preparing to unveil its new China strategy. Now, the communications, the ministry said, between the US and Taiwan over the past few weeks have been intense in the run-up to a statement by US Secretary of State Antony Blinken on a new China policy. Now, the foreign ministry refused to say why the talks were intense and what the contents of the discussions focused on, citing the need to uphold mutual trust and a tactic understanding between the two sides. Now, Blinken made his key China policy speech Thursday evening at Taiwan time, and the US Secretary of State described China's increasingly provocative proactive rhetoric and actions against Taiwan as being deeply destabilizing. And they said that Beijing is engaged in increasingly provocative rhetoric and activities like flying aircraft near Taiwan on an almost daily basis. Now, according to Blinken, those words and actions are deeply destabilizing and risk miscalculation and threaten the peace and stability of the Taiwan Strait. Blinken said the U.S. will manage its relationship with China responsibly to maintain peace and stability in the Taiwan Strait, which he said is a matter of international concern and critical to regional and global security and prosperity. Blinken went on to stress that the U.S. policy towards Taiwan has not changed and Washington remains committed to the One China policy, which is guided by the Taiwan relations Act, the three joint communiques and the six assurances. And he said the U.S. opposes any unilateral changes to the status quo from either side, saying the U.S. does not support Taiwan independence and expects cross-strait differences to be resolved by peaceful means. And then he added that the United States will also maintain the capacity to resist any, any resort to force or other forms of coercion that would jeopardize the security or the social economic system of Taiwan. So, Sean, that was the that was the U.S. U.S. Secretary of State's new China policy regarding Taiwan. Sounds a lot like the last one. It does. And it's also because he's using diplomatic speak. Uh, so it's quite, uh, some, you know, some people may misinterpret some of that. But I did notice some minor but key changes, in my opinion. Uh, he's emphasized, uh, Blinken emphasized that he said that the U.S. remains committed to our one China policy, uh, not the one China policy. Uh, several diplomats in the U.S. diplomats in the past would say things like we we remain committed to the One China policy, or sometimes they would misspeak and say, oh, you know, basically implying that they subscribe to the One China principle. Blinken emphasizing that it's our One China policy makes is important because the the tonal shift in the United States now emphasizing the fact that all along that their own One China policy is different from China's One China principle is actually a key 
importance uh, because, you know, China's ministries and information ministries frequently and still do to this very day uh, purposely mistranslate the U.S. positions, uh, you know, garnering outrage amongst Chinese netizens that the U.S. is backtracking or not following its quote-unquote own policies. But it's in fact because they don't really know what the U.S. position is. And here, you know, Blinken is making it more clear. And I think that's actually a good thing because, you know, um, it helps clarify. Uh, and the, the U.S. is, I think this is kind of strong language. Um, in many ways, yes, we are, the U.S. is reemphasizing that it hasn't changed its position, but it's also really emphasizing that the PRC is the one at fault here. For many years, for decades even, lots of journalists and article writers would insist that China has no control and no agency over its want and desire to conquer Taiwan, pretending that, you know, like China is some sort of automatic machine switch, where if, you know, the Taiwan president said something, then we would, quote unquote, deservingly get what we sowed. But that's not really the case. China's, you know, aggressive actions should be recognized as a choice. You know, uh, it's kind of like trying to excuse the bully by saying, ah, the neighborhood bully can't help himself. So what you should do as a victim is submit. Um, that's, you know, that kind of language is becoming more and more unacceptable. So I do welcome that uh, Blinken did point out and really emphasize what China is doing. Words like deeply destabilizing, risk miscalculation, threaten peace and stability. They're not blaming Taiwan anymore, quote unquote, for changing the status quo. Uh, you know, they are indeed pointing out that China has changed that already. And that is welcome language. Definitely. I think the war in Ukraine uh, also has some parallels because a lot of people on the quote unquote realist side of the debate will frame things in terms of, well, you know, we can't make Russia mad because then look what would happen. Uh, but I think this this is definitely um, the, the fact that Ukraine did stand up. And I think most people agree that they did the right thing. Uh, I think it, it's starting to turn the conversation toward, yes, these autocratic countries do have a choice. And if they choose to invade, then it's not on the it's not on the lot of the smaller country to try and accommodate them. And the rest of the world have a responsibility to try and keep order and to actually point out what's right and what's wrong and not just who's the most powerful. Now, I find it interesting that Biden basically now it's it's the third time he uh, spoke up about defending Taiwan. He actually said this time he used a really strong language, commit, if that's a commitment we've made to defend Taiwan, and then immediately walked it back. And it, it's just so hilarious because every time he says that, I, I, I think to myself, oh my goodness, they've gone and done it. Strategic ambiguity is gone. And then of course comes the immediate walk back, <laughs> which means that it's, it's you know, perhaps more ambiguous than ever. Uh, one interesting thing I will point out is that he is making these strong statements at a time where China is very much not in a great position to do any kind of response um, because the COVID zero policy is just not working out. Uh, they're facing a tanking economy. They're facing a very strong uh, public displeasure um, both at the tanking economy and just like a lack of freedom being locked down in forced quarantines. Um, so I think this is uh, this is a time for Biden to uh, uh, reiterate this commitment to Taiwan um, without 
China being really in a position to uh, react too strongly about it. Uh, but it was walked back. And I think um, that's okay too, because uh, at the end of the day, uh, Taiwan can be thought of as a hostage situation. It's not so much about the right and wrongs of things. Um, when you have a hostage situation and you're negotiating, um, sometimes you have to think about uh, the, not just like what's right or what's wrong, um, but how to create the best outcome for everybody. And of course, Angelica, despite the U.S. government there, the White House saying it will defend Taiwan earlier this week. Basically, well, the White House National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan, he faced the cameras aboard Air Force One to announce that Taiwan hasn't been invited to join the Indo-Pacific Economic Framework. And during yeah. that press, yeah. So, I mean, obviously, they say nice things about Taiwan, but they, then they don't invite Taiwan to the party on the other hand. Well, Wait, wait, wait a minute, though. I think though you we, we shouldn't be too quick to judge because when it comes to the United States, um, they can have one attitude about Taiwan, but we're talking about an international body with with other countries involved, and we don't know how they would feel about Taiwan joining that body. So um, I believe that it's still in the power of the United States. I, I don't know what will happen next. Um, but there's been noises, sorry, I don't have uh, that piece in front of me anymore, that who knows, maybe the U.S. might be thinking about um, doing some sort of bilateral trade deal with Taiwan. That would be super welcome. And um, uh, we're moving on to that direction. I feel like there's been a lot of incremental um, working groups, frameworks, uh, that sort of thing. Um and I, I think that with, with, with an international body, there's just too many uncertainties. And um, although I don't know for sure, but I think the charitable interpretation is uh, the US uh, is supportive of Taiwan, but where there's lots of other uh, countries involved who are perhaps closer to China, then um, it also doesn't, doesn't have the ability to uh, guarantee our entry into any international organization. So Sean there, Angelica saying that basically Taiwan wasn't invited to join the IPEF due to geopolitical factors per se, as possibly the United States was trying to avoid framing the deal as an anti-China coalition, which of course could deter other countries from joining. Yeah, I actually agree uh, completely with that, with what Angelica said, because, uh, you know, uh, the U.S., obviously knew that some of the key partners in the Indo-Pacific economic framework were hesitant or or, or uh, may not be willing to join at this time if it is framed that way. And that's also why uh, Taiwan's kept out of it as well. You got to keep in mind that obviously China's not invited to this and that's really the key point. And as for uh, BTAs, you know, bilateral trade agreements, yes. I mean, the one that the U.S. is discussing with um, Taiwan, I mean, it's notable that uh, the, the, the timing uh, 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 that they mentioned this uh, just came just uh, uh, just ahead of um, uh, U.S. Trade Representative Catherine Tai meeting uh, with um, uh, our Minister Without Portfolio John Deng. So I think that is you know I think there is of course a lot of things going behind the scenes. The BTA, by the way, I mean call it for what it is. It's it's basically a free trade agreement uh, with the USA. So um, yeah, the U.S. is encouraging uh, behind the scenes. For more countries to sign BTAs with Taiwan, 
um, Taiwan does not is it, this does not mean Taiwan at a future date cannot join uh, IPEF or the Indo-Pacific Economic Framework. It may be able to in the future. You know, it's not something that precludes it. But at this time, in order to get more allies into IPEF, you're not going to do it if Taiwan joins it right now. It would have been nice. It would have been nice. I agree with everyone. It would have been great if Taiwan joined at this moment. But let's face it, Australia had an election going on recently. One of the key topics happened to be uh, how much China's influence happens in Australia. This is not exactly the best timing for that. Uh, I know countries like Brunei have to reckon with their ties with China as well. The Philippines especially. Um, you know, and they just had an election, you know, where uh, 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 Bomb Bomb Marcos won. So these are these are not exactly the best time. So I think timing is really important. If it, if this trade if this trade group was basically just the USA, and maybe Canada, sure, but that wouldn't make it an effective one. So you know, um, uh, I don't think there should be any surprise here. Uh, again, it's just one of those things we would love to have happened, but in the bigger picture of things, it would not have worked out well. And we have to take a short break now, but we will return after these rather important commercials. Welcome back to Taiwan this week and looking at the latest coronavirus situation here in Taiwan this week. Well, the health minister Chen Shijong on Thursday announced that the death rate from the disease here in Taiwan has now exceeded 0.1%, a figure he characterized as a warning. Now, the statement came after the single day death toll reported that same day hit 104, meaning the case fatality rate since the pandemic began rose to 0.10108%. And the total death toll, as we're recording this show since the pandemic began, stands at 1,658, with 805 of those deaths recorded this year. Now, the health minister is attributing the increase in daily deaths to Taiwan, recording more than 80,000 cases every day but one since May the 18th. And speaking in his daily press briefing, Chen said, based on observations of neighboring countries, most have experienced a peak period of one to two months before the coronavirus situation shows signs of improvement. However, he stressed that Taiwan's current wave is expected to be less severe than comparable waves in Hong Kong, South Korea and New Zealand. But he said it may last a little longer and the plateau period will be about, well, a month's time. The health minister went on to say that the current wave of domestic infections has already been about nine has already been some but 50 days in duration totally now and daily cases have so far peaked at around 80,000 to 90,000 and it's now estimated that a maximum of between 15 to 20 percent of the population will be infected so I'm speaking to two people today on the show who were infected by the coronavirus <laughs> so Angelica what about these figures the death rate is rising now and it's now exceeded 0.1 percent uh, yes, and I have to say that um, here we have a really dynamic situation because how many people do you know um, right now who get the sniffles and would do anything not to get tested? Uh, they don't. They don't want to know that they're positive if they're, have, they're having mild symptoms. And when you're calculating the death rate, that is um, that's going to be the denominator. Um, I I feel like while uh, of course, it is concerning that the death rate appears to be going up. Uh, the key um, metric to watch is still like, how is our hospital system handling 
um, the crisis. And as long as there's still beds, as long as people are still getting taken care of, there's plenty of slack in the system. I think Taiwan is handling, um, I'm cautiously optimistic that Taiwan appears to be um, sticking the landing when it comes to this coronavirus response. Uh, we can look at the countries that have gone before us, the countries that have had um, had uh, zero COVID and uh, eventually uh, couldn't hold it anymore uh, and opened up, like countries like New Zealand. Um, and, and, and then we can contrast that with uh, places that uh, had zero COVID and had that collapse and did very badly, like uh, like China. And I think the big difference is how many of your citizens have jabs in their arms. Um, and that that is really the most important factor. Uh, I think the people who have gone out there and uh, gotten vaccinated, um, fully vaccinated uh, in Taiwan, uh, will we'll do... We'll, would do okay. And I'm really proud of the response of the populace because um, there's been no panic. Everybody's been calm and uh, pretty much uh, cautiously accepting that this is going to be okay. So I'm proud of Taiwan. I think we're going to stick the landing. And while of course it is it is serious, um, I, I do think that uh, uh, we, we can look forward to the beginning of the end and uh, hopefully um, fingers crossed for lifting travel restrictions soon, which will really help uh, with the economy. And of course, Sean, the health minister saying between 15 and 20 percent of the population will be infected. Uh, yeah, I I'm not even surprised. You know, as Angelica said, um, oh. right now, a lot of people are trying to avoid the fact that they have because they have to quarantine for all those days. A lot of people are trying to avoid that by not reporting it. Um, and I and I have heard of cases of people doing that. The speculation is not false. It is absolutely real. Uh, I have encountered uh, walking past by, you know, restaurants and say, hey, you're open again. I thought you were going on vacation. And the person would say, like, yeah, actually, I got COVID. And then I do the math and I'm like, wait, you can't be open right now. You know, <laughs> and, you know, they would just shrug. And, you know, I don't have any evidence because it's not like I could do a, a warrant or search of this person's home and, and to try to find that positive uh, home test. But I do think that Taiwan's handling so far has been great. Just because 15 or 20 percent infected, that's not really the major issue. Uh, as Angelica said, it is, you know, um, the reality is are the hospitals getting, getting overwhelmed? And another thing I need to point out is, according to um, there's a great. Uh, Google Sheet from the Taiwan subreddit, which is um, the Taiwan COVID-19 trend line. Uh, it has it's a great dashboard. It's full. It's great for data geeks. If you notice, the vast majority of the deaths, no matter age, okay. First of all, most of the ages of the deaths, the vast majority, are over 60, and of those that have comorbidities, it's almost all of them. You know, uh, and even those under uh, 60, nearly all of them have comorbidities as well. So uh, I'm not saying this is a great thing. You know, I mean, deaths are sad. It's tragic. But if you only count those that so far no comorbidities were discovered or listed, the death rate would be infinitesimally tiny. So, I mean, I get there's the fear, but the situation is vastly different. Taiwan is vaccinated. It's well vaccinated with good amounts of vaccines. Um, if 15 or 20 percent of the population gets infected, that's... I'm not saying it's okay, but that's inevitable down the line. Um, but our hospitals are standing up well. 
the numbers actually look very good. It's predicted that these numbers might be dropping. It's rising in other counties. Taipei, you know, is like this epicenter. So obviously the numbers have risen and is now dropping slowly in Taipei. And I expect the other counties in Taiwan, other cities in Taiwan to also have numbers that will slowly, they'll slowly peak and then they'll start dropping in number as well. And of course, Angelica, there's been talk of opening Taiwan in July at the earliest to the outside world. Well, I all I can say is I hope that is true because, um, yeah, the Taiwan economy actually did surprisingly well, unexpectedly well under COVID. But that was under the circumstance where the whole world was shut down and we could just keep exporting those laptops and uh, um, have our economy be hanging along. Now it's different. The world's open. I just came back from the United States. I was on a flight where I was the only person just about wearing a face mask. People have obviously gotten over it. They're traveling. They're doing business. And if Taiwan is still shut off from business travelers, um, I think we run the risk of missing out on some of the deals um, that could be scooped up by others. So I, I really think it's time for us to rejoin the world or or face um of financial consequences down the line. And I, I think, of course, if, if it's a matter of sacrificing health for, for money, of course, I can, I can see that we want to protect our people. But uh, we're jabbed, we're ready. Um, I, I, I think it's time. I'm, I really hope so. Mm-hmm. And what, yeah. what about tourism, Sean? Well, speaking of that, uh, I'm going to be in a somewhat related thing and related to tourism. Tourism isn't the most important thing, I think, in Taiwan's economy, but those business deals are. The reason why I say that is because um, Taiwan's economy generally is not as tourism dependent as most other Asian nations. But the fact is, a lot of those tourists that do come to Taiwan do bring a lot of business in terms of conferences. A very important one, one of Taiwan's most important ones, is Computex, which I went. And Computex was, you know, normally it it, it takes up uh, Simao, it takes up uh, Nanangang Convention Area, both floors in Nanangang, and, you know, all two or three locations that they have at, at, at Simao. But this time... I went, it only was one floor and very vacant for that matter at Nangang. People might dismiss those conferences, but that conference brings in, uh, by some estimates, like a billion dollars worth of deal uh, deals just in that conference alone. Taiwan has a lot of expos. Yes, people come in with tourism uh, visas just to come to these uh, uh, expos. It does happen a lot, and that's critical for Taiwan's economy. But for Computex to be that small this this year, I've never seen such a small Computex my entire life. It's smaller than, you know, small regular Taiwan conventions pre-pandemic. So, yeah, that's a lot of business deals we will be losing on out on. Um, on the other hand, I do worry because, I mean, what if there's more variants? You know, I, so many Taiwanese people are not coming out anyway. Uh, as you, if you if you walk around to malls and you you travel around about these days, you'll notice that lots of Taiwanese are choosing to stay home or self quarantining because they just don't want to get it. And I get it; long COVID is a real thing, and there might be more variants. And who knows? There's this new monkeypox thing coming around. However, um, I do have great confidence because in Taiwan, lots of people are still masked up. So if people come in and they mask where they're supposed to, they follow regulations, uh, we could still do business and we could minimize the losses as much as possible since it's already spread. So let's just do the next best thing. 
Uh, I personally uh, think it'll be great if we can travel and come back and not have such a long time of quarantine, especially since the latest variants of COVID strike faster um, and, you know, they also end faster. Uh, I think the health minister, as you said, said that most of the deaths happen within, what, three, four days of, of, the, of getting or, or showing positive on tests, which is a vast difference from the alpha or early variants of COVID. And before we go this week, Thai Power announced that from June the 1st, electric car owners here in Taiwan will be charged a flat rate of 262.5 NT in monthly fees for household electricity, as well as a varying per kilowatt hour surcharge. Now, the state generator says that new rates have been designed to encourage off-peak charging and will apply to the registered residential addresses of the 10,000 or so electric car owners here, as well as to public charging points. Now, according to Thai Power, the new policy comes amid a noticeable growth in the sales of electric vehicles here in Taiwan and the subsequent increase in demand for electricity. Now, of course, the government has been promoting people moving to green energy and buying electric cars but there are some big problems with this mostly to do with the number of charging stations and now while some local governments have mandated that all new large residential buildings with parking lots must have charging stations well there's still a lot way to go and of course charging motor cars that are made of electricity and use electricity angelica mean that we'll basically be more using more electricity at a time when there are concerns about power consumption anyway well gavin this is just so funny to me because taiwan is undergoing basically a slow motion power crunch now uh, we just are not producing enough electricity for us to use on our business and everyday um activities and Electric cars sound nice, and I agree, they are generally a good thing, but only if there is enough electricity. Um, and when there, by some estimates, in order to, if you want to decarbonize transportation, so that's, you know, cars, trucks, trains, whatever, if you, if you want to make all that, all the transportation decarbonized, you might have to, like, use three times as much electricity as you currently do. Um, that's an enormously amount of juice that Taiwan just simply doesn't have yet. Uh, I think it is reasonable that uh, electric car owners are being asked to use um, their, do their charging um, off peak hours. Or, but I think it should be um, structured differently as an incentive to, to charge off peak. Um, I think Taiwan's overall electricity prices uh, is way too low. It's two, something like 2.62 NT per kilowatt hour. So that's around nine cents um, per kilowatt hour. Internationally speaking, it's super low, one of the lowest in the world. And we don't have any basis for it. We don't produce any hydrocarbon. Uh, we're trying to move towards a greener grid. Uh, we we should electricity shouldn't be that cheap, and uh, it doesn't encourage any uh, savings. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, that's one of the problems that we perennial problems that Taiwan has, right? Uh, it's not just Taiwan though, where uh, our politicians are too afraid to raise energy and um, water prices. Um, you know, even though 
uh, Matsu, the goddess, goddess is sending us all the water we could possibly ask for right now. Should have came last year, but it's okay. Um, in terms of energy, it's the same kind of the situation where we make it too cheap and people use it too much. Uh, there's, of course, mitigation, minor mitigations that we could use, like trying to force stores and businesses to uh, be more... Uh, Conserving of their power, uh, you know, in Taiwan, it, it was, it still is pretty a common sight where they'll blast the air conditioner while having an open door, so it just flows outwards. But uh, you know, at the end of the day, we need to really focus on um, trying to expand our energy. I mean, yes, the the vehicles, the car. I mean, okay, you know, yes. Vehicles, um, electric vehicles are good. I personally, uh, not only do I rent electric vehicles, I also drive a GoGoRo uh, Go too, uh, as you know, when I need to travel short distances. So I, I think it's great that they might be increasing its energy costs. I don't mind paying extra for GoGoRo, but the reality is a large mouth of the populace are going to get it up in arms. A good portion of Taiwan will complain. It gets on the news when tissue paper increases by 5 NT. So, you know, if they're going to raise the price of kilowatt hours, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, the price of that, and I think it's going to only result in some anger. And I don't know. I just wish Taiwan would be more open minded. I'm not sure the populace is ready for it yet. And this causes this loop of, of you know, where we need to really conserve energy, but we're not. Absolutely. This is the stymie shown to people, more people buying electric vehicles. <laughs> well, uh, you know, Taiwan geographically isn't that big, so um, you know, you know, a Tesla could go quite a distance in Taiwan, uh, and there are charging stations. So if you drive, let's say, from here to Hualien, there's one in between, and there's a supercharger, and you you can travel around. And there's also the prestige factor, like like I said with Gogoros, like Gogoros are all over Taiwan. You'll see them everywhere. Um, they're practically right now the best or one of the best-selling scooters. And among electric vehicle electric vehicles, they are the best. So you know, I I don't think it's really so much as energy density. I mean, yes, gas has higher energy density, so you could travel farther. That's a big problem in the United States, but in Taiwan, you can easily drive to Kaohsiung, you know, on your Tesla or other electric vehicle. The even though there's an added cost to it, I, I think Taiwanese really like the gadgetry of these electric cars, and you know, so so far they they seem to be doing well. I you know, I live in Xinyi. I my office is in Xinyi. I see electric cars. Every Every day, just crossing the street. I should add that I am not anti-electric vehicles. I am actually pro-electric vehicles, and I think it's great that more Taiwanese people um, are getting electric vehicles. Uh, but until the way we produce it, that electricity is is clean and uh, reasonable and can meet, meet our needs, they won't actually solve our decarbonization problem nope it won't i and i fully agree with her with her because uh, i mean look at taizong with the huge coal power plants that's one of the major things we need to solve if not you know the air is still going to be pretty awful i mean it's great that you know a, a great example is like for example example taiwan's buses uh taiwan's buses you know you could use alternative fuels they but the air smells bad around them uh, we have tons of coal plants. I'm not saying those buses should be switched 
switched entirely to electricity today, though, because, you know, I mean, as long as we still have all these coal plants in Taiwan producing all that smog, we're kind of shifting things left and right, but we're not solving the real problem. And that's where we'll leave it here this week on Taiwan This Week. And I'm joined today by Angelica Ong. Thanks for having me, Gavin. And by Sean Su. And it's always great to be back again. Thank you. And thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out the Taiwan This Week podcast on your favorite podcast app where you can get access to all our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 9 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.